Bibles, turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5. Chapter 12, I'm sorry, verse 5. Chapter 12, verse 5. Um, we're, this, this won't, I won't, I promise you this, I, I'll probably be pretty short today because I just can't, st- I can't feel my feet. So if I fall over, somebody just scoop me up and sit me in a chair or something. Hebrews chapter five, chapter twelve. Sorry, President Calvin Coolidge. I, I, you y'all know I love Andy Griffith. I absolutely love Andy Griffith, and I remember uh, uh, Floyd talking about Coolidge one time, and and there was a there's a story about Calvin Coolidge, and he said that he went to a church service one Sunday, and when he got done with the church service, he came outside and. One of his friends asked him, he said, what did the preacher preach on today? And, and Calvin said he preached on sin. And the friend said, well, that's, that's good. What did he say about it? And he said, it's bad. And that's all he said was it's bad. And he's right. It is bad. And then I go back and I think about on the Andy Griffith show, whenever Barney, whenever they had Dr. Bean there, Breen, Dr. Breen was there, and, and it was that episode, I believe it was called uh, Today's Sermon, I think was the name of the episode. But uh, that's when Dr. Dr. Breen was there from New York, and he was preaching. And, uh, and, and he said, <laughs> now he said, slow down. That, that was the title of his sermon, was just slow down. But he come out, they come outside, and Barney, everybody was telling him, you know, it was a great sermon. And <clears throat> Barney said, <laughs> he said, Dr. Breen, he said, that's one thing you can't preach too much on right there, sin. And he never even preached on sin. But he's, he's sleeping during the sermon. So he's preaching on sin. What I want you to see about sin and importance in, in preaching on sin and talking about sin is sin violates the Word of God. When you, look at, when you look at sin, it violates God's standards. God has high standards for His people. He has high standards for our churches. God has set standards for each one of us. And when we sin, we go against those standards. And so Barney's right. You can't preach enough about sin, and Calvin Coolidge is right too. It's bad, and we've got to stay away from it. Sin, it offends God. It angers God. It disappoints God. As children, when we did something wrong, it offended or it disappointed our parents because we were what we'd always say, we was raised right. We was raised in, in to not do certain things and to always honor our parents. And so when we'd done the wrong things, it disappointed them. It made them mad. Was our Heavenly Father and us as His children, when we sin, we're doing the same things as we did towards our parents, our fleshly parents. We disappoint them. We go against them. And so it upsets Him. It angers Him. It makes Him mad. It, it disappoints Him. We are to mirror His holiness. We're to mirror that. As, as Christians, we are to be Christ-like. We're to mirror Him the best of our knowledge because the Bible says we're a holy nation. We're a holy people as, as Christians, as being saved. And our God, I was reading that this week, and, and the writer said this right here. He said, our God is not vindictive. He's not mean. He's not cruel or a hurtful judge. That's, that's my God. That's, not, that's what a lot of people think He is when they just read the Old Testament. That's what a lot of unbelievers think about my God, is those words right there. He's vindictive, mean, cruel, and hurtful. 
That's not my God. That might be what they see, but that's never what I've ever seen. Because I can, sur- I can sum up my God in one word, and that's love. That is love. He's a holy father. He loves his children enough to, to rebuke us. I want you to think about, as parents, what happens when we rebuke, why we rebuke our children. We do it out of love. I've told you all the story about my dad when, when Abby was born. First words he told me, me and him standing there looking through that window, looking at Abby, and he said, he just kind of put his arm around me, he said, son, you're going to have to spank her sometime. And that's it, that was, what, that was the first words he said as a grandpa, you're going to have to spank her sometime. But he followed it up with, do it out of love. Do it out of love. Never out of anger. Always rebuke her out of love. Punish her out of love, not not out of anger. And, and now, now that he's told me that, and, and you know all the times I can count on one hand that I've had to spank her, looking back in my childhood, I see now why Dad always told me. <laughs> I always thought it was cliche, but he said, this always hurts me more than it does you. I know what he means now. As a parent, I know what he means now. And so when, when God rebukes us, I can almost hear him saying, this hurts me more than it does you. This is hurting me. Why would you do this against me? Why would you sin against me? This hurts me more than you. If you've got your Bibles, I'd appreciate it if you join me in standing this morning. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, chastisement, wherefore, whereof, I'm sorry, all are partakers, Then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we have have gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the... Present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning as, uh, as we come to you, uh, Lord, humbly, respectfully, and out of love this morning, God, we just ask for your blessings upon this service. Lord, I pray that you would be with each one of us as, as we partake of the gospel. Lord, as we absorb the word that's being said preached lord as it's been sung and i pray today that you would just continue to grow and use this church lord we have uh, so many burdens on our hearts today god we have so many that are sick and and shut in today father we do want to lift up brother philip green to you as he lays over at watauga double pneumonia lord i pray that you would just heal him quickly god he's in pain I've, i've been speaking to him this week and father he just needs a touch Lord, we just thank you for his church and the community that's uh, lifting him up today. And pray, God, again, just for your healing touch to be upon him. 
for all those, uh, Lord, that continue to struggle with burdens of, of life. Lord, just the things that are going on in, in personal life and in this world and in this country. God, I pray, uh, Lord, I pray that you come back quickly. But, Lord, I pray that we would lean on you and that, that, that arm, those arms that we sung about. Father, we would lean on those instead of this world to get us through these situations. We love you this morning. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to look at some things this morning that discipline should do for us. As children, we don't talk about, or we don't look at it, at what discipline does for us. We think it's mean. Whenever your parents, well, I didn't have this problem growing up because I didn't have a cell phone. I had a Nintendo, and that hurt just as bad for them to take that away. But growing up, parents would punish you in different ways. By taking away something, or it may be that you got spanked, you got whipped, or beat, which is what I got. I probably deserve that more than anything. But looking back as a child, we thought, that's just wrong. That's just mean. Discipline is not right. Why, are, why is this happening to me? What should this discipline prove? Now, as an adult, I see exactly what it proved and what it did for me, what discipline should do for each one of us. So as adults, God, our Father, is still going to discipline us in some ways, different ways. We'll look at a few of them this morning. Discipline should bring us back to God and His Word. It should bring us back to God and His Word. Verse 5, again, it says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. When we stray from the Bible, we'll, we'll wander into sin. And that's a, that's, a, that's a given. That is a fact. When we get out of church... When we get out of the Word of God, when we separate ourselves from those brothers and Christian or brothers and sisters that that we uh, affiliate with in our churches, when we stray from the Word of God, we wander into sin. That's the way it happens every time. You being in the Word of God, being active in churches, that keeps us away from the world, and it keeps us out of sin. It keeps us from uh, going into the devil's territory. As long as we stick with the Word of God and continue to be active in our churches, we don't have to worry as much about sin now. Are we exempt from sin? No, we're not. We're still going to dabble in it here and there. That's just a given as well. The old saying goes, the book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the book. And that's a fact. You stay in the book, it'll keep you out of sin. But you dabble with sin, and it's going to keep you out of the book. James tells us over in chapter 1, he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving uh, your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth that what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Stay in the word. Stay with God. You will stay. If you stick with this, if you stay right here, you're going to stay away from the sins of this world. So discipline keeps us focused and back on track with the word of God and our, our brothers and sisters. Something else that discipline should do is it should cause us remorse and repentance. We call that conviction as well. 
That's what discipline should do. The, the second part of verse 5 there says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. There's this little failure one time, little, little tiny boy. And all he wanted to do was play basketball. And he told his dad, he said, Dad, I'm going to play basketball. He said, and I'm going to go and I'm going to be major league. He said, I'm going to be a star in college and I'm going to go on into the, the NBA. And he said, I'm going to be something. Problem was the boy's short. When I say little feller, I meant little feller. He was short, short, short in stature and was always going to be short. And his dad knew that. And so the, the dad, uh, you know, wanted the best for his son. He went to the basketball coach at the school, and he said, what can I do to make my son taller? And again, when I think about that, I think about Barney when they hung him up in the closet. We won't talk about that. But the, fella, the coach said, well, I'll tell you what, take him down to the museum, the local museum. He said, down there in the basement, believe it or not, there's a torture chamber, an old medieval torture chamber. And you can go through and you can look at all the old ways that they'd torture people. And he said, in there is a stretching machine. He said, and he's, this, he's dead serious. He said, put him on that stretching machine for a while and see what happens. You might be able to give him a few more inches in height. And the dad did. A few weeks later, <laughs> the coach seen the dad out, out somewhere and he said, how did it go? He said, well, he's no short, or he's no taller, but he confessed to things that I never even knew happened. <laughs> so we are to confess not under a torture machine but we are to confess to the father and to one another the things that are going on the sins in our lives admitting sin is the first step that's that's the hard part think about salvation <clears throat> we have the abcs of salvation what are the abcs of salvation admit believe confess admit that's the first step Admit that you are a sinner. Ad admit that you have sinned against God. Admit. But that's the first step. As a Christian, afterwards, we have to admit our sins. Uh, Psalm 32, 5 says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. He was pretty, pretty blunt right there. He didn't say, I'll write him a letter and stick it in the wall. He didn't say, I'll write him a little note and, and lay it on a table. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, which means he's going to pray. He's going to talk to the Lord. He's going to speak to him. and He's going to be humble when he speaks to him. And then it says, I love this part. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin because he was faithful and just. The Bible tells us that, if, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. So when we go to him, like it says, admitting sin, that's the first step. When we go to him and we admit that sin, he's going to forgive us of that sin. Now, confessing and turning from that is, is step two and step three. Confessing, and, and right here, and it says... Um, I'm sorry, confessing and turning away. That's the hard part, that turning away part. It's easy, not, it's not always easy to go to, to God and ask for forgiveness. But once we do it, we're to turn away from it. Once We're not supposed to be habitual sinners. Once we get into that sin and we ask for forgiveness, once He forgives us, we're to turn away from that sin and just stop doing it. Don't do it no more. That's the hard part for Christians because there's so much flesh here. 
And then the flesh enjoys that sin sometimes. The carnally minded enjoys that sin sometimes. But God said, you need to turn from it. Stop doing that. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Here's the next part of that. We don't talk about this that much. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us, to clean us up. When we ask for sin, I think of, of this as like letting Clayton feed himself right now. It is hilarious. I love it. We do not leave clothes on him. We strip him down to a diaper. We put him in his, his little uh, seat, his high chair. We give him a plastic, one of his little spoons, and we lay the taters out there and the beans and the nasty turkey ravioli he's eating right now, and we just let him go to town. This verse right here says, And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once he is done, we put him in the bathtub. There's been a time or two I've only take him outside and hose him down. He's so nasty. But we'll put him in the bathtub, and we will cleanse him. We will wash that away from him. We clean him up so that he can go back out and be who he is supposed to be. And that's a baby. Jesus will do that for us as well. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and he will send us back out. He prepares us. He cleans us up and prepares us so that we can go be what we are supposed to be. And we are supposed to be faithful Christians. We are supposed to be good neighbors. We're supposed to love one another. So he's going to clean us up and let us go back out and be the best that we can be. Discipline should generate hope. Now, this was a hard one for me to, as I was studying on this, this was a hard one for me to try to compare as a child growing up because I seen no hope when I seen that switch coming. There was no hope that I would uh, not leave there without whelks and some tears shed. But when God disciplines his children, there is hope after that. Now, look at the last part there of of verse uh, 5 again. It says, Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, this word faint in Greek means to become discouraged, to lose heart, or to give up. To become discouraged, to lose heart, or give up. Now, I'm going to read it again. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So, if we change that word right there, faint, and we could say, nor to become discouraged or to lose heart when thou art rebuked of him. Don't lose heart when God rebukes you. Don't lose heart when you're disciplined. Don't lose heart. It's a good thing for us. We need that. It's just like we talk about refining gold. That's what God is doing to us. When we are disciplined, He is refining us. He is getting out all the impurities in our lives because that's what we have done is we're sinning, and that's an impurity. And impurities are not allowed in fine gold. It has to be burned out. It has to be taken out of. So all the nasty, the minerals, and all the little particles that are in gold, it's not pure gold. We're not pure yet. So as he disciplines us, he is taking out those impurities. And so there is hope. There is hope. There's a bright hope that we'll become shiny pieces of, of art for him or, or, or gold for him or uh, pottery for him. I, I think about clay. That's something that my family has dealt with for years, for generations. They make pottery, and I've watched them. 
throw away so much clay because there's so many impurities in that clay. There's certain places that you want to purchase your clay to make pottery, and there's certain places you don't want to get that clay because there's impurities in it. There could be dirt. There could be rocks. There could be other minerals in that clay, and it's not going to make for a pretty pot. It's going to make a nasty-looking cup or something like that, and so they have to throw it away. We are clay. We are being molded and modeled right now in this lifetime for him. And so if there is impurities in our lives, if, there are sin, if sin is in our lives, he's going to get that out some way through discipline. In other words, this verse is telling us, don't become disheartened unless, or useless and don't lose hope. Just because he's disciplining us doesn't mean he doesn't love us. When we're disciplined, that means he loves us. So don't lose hope. Right, don't get disheartened because it's going on. He just loves you. And he loves you unconditionally. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, discipline should produce submission. Should. Look at verse 9. It says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which correct us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Submission to his discipline and submission to his will. That's what he's asking for. Submission. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Discipline should produce submission, submitting to him. That's what he wants. He wants us to Forget about the things of this world. He wants us to forget about all the things the devil has to offer and just submit to him. Submit to him. I was at a wedding yesterday evening. That was, that was a long wedding. And I had, to, I had to stand in the back. I couldn't sit down on the benches. And I was standing back there, and, and I was listening to that preacher. The reason I was listening to the preacher is because they told me that he had a, an aneurysm, and if he fell out, that I was to go tap in and feel it for the rest of the... I'm like, if he's got an aneurysm, I'm probably going to be doing CPR before I start preaching. But uh, I was listening to him, and he was talking about that submitting and how the wife was to submit to the husband, and, and we, again, as the church, are to submit to, to Jesus. That's what he wants from us, is that submission. He, this discipline that he brings upon us, it's wanting us to submit to him. Hank, my dog right now, He's learning. He's learning right now. He's learning about submission big time. That dog has three. This is hilarious. I'll get a kick out of this. That dog has three collars. He's got two shot collars and a regular collar on him. I said, if we're going to keep doing this, I'm going to start breeding dogs to drafts because he's running out of space for collars. But he's learning submission to me. As his master, he's learning that he is to submit to me. There's our master. Now, he ain't got no shot collar on us. Praise the Lord because it drained the battery. But... He's wanting us to know that when he disciplines us, he's wanting us to submit to him and to listen to him and to obey him at all cost. Discipline is proof of God's love. Now, I've said this time and time again. As a parent, when I discipline my kids, it's because I love them and I want the best for them and I want to protect them. Clayton has found light sockets now. He just loves it. 
He thinks it's hilarious to go up because we yell and scream and stomp and all that stuff, and he just looks and smiles. He thinks it's hilarious. I love him. I don't want him shocked. You know, I don't want him electrocuted. I want the best for him. I want to protect him. The same with Abby and driving now. I want the best for her. I call her. I try not to call her when she's driving, but yesterday when ASU won that game, she was coming back from a wedding in Boonville. So she was going to have to come right back through Boone after the ball game, and it was pretty rowdy last night. I want the best for her and Gideon. And so I wanted to call and let them know, hey, it's dangerous. Be careful. There's going to be probably some drunk drivers out. You know, law enforcement's going to be out. I said, I want you guys to be safe everywhere you go. You know, we, that's what we do as parents. We want the best for them because we love them. God loves us. We know that. Verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chastened. <laughs> that's us. That's, that's, that's us. That right there, he says, For whom? We're the whom. As Christians, we are the whom. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and uh, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Revelation 3.19 tells us, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous thereof, and repent. God's love would never allow us the luxury of wandering into sin when he knows it would destroy us. He knows what sin will do to us. So he's not going to allow us just to wander into it as, as Christians and, and stay in it. So he's going to do what any good parent or good father would do and He will discipline us, and He will do it out of love. His love protects us, and it corrects us. Even though it might be painful, That's what it makes us remember. Think about when you had to go cut. Anybody have to ever cut your own switch? Oh, that made me so mad. Go get me a switch. That's what I remember that. Ugh, I just got chills thinking about it. And I'll go, it's just as something as simple as just walking through the woods and I'll be clearing out a shooting lane or something like that and I'll break a limb or something off to get it out of the, you know, wherever my air and bullet's going. And I'll break that twig and that sound makes me go back about 30 years to whenever I had to go break my own twig, my own switch. I'm reminded of the punishment that I had to endure because I messed up. I remember those things. We're still experiencing God's love even when He is disappointed in our sin. Even though I backtalked my dad, or even though I done something at school that I wasn't supposed to, or even though I pushed my sister down the steps, whatever it was, I brought that sin on myself, and I was punished out of love for my parents. God does the same thing to us. Out of love, He will discipline us. He will disappoint or discipline us. Discipline is proof of our sonship. Now, I want you to look over at verse uh, 6 again <clears throat> through 8. The last part says, and, and, um, Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof... All partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Because we are his children, he sees fit to punish and correct us necess the necessary way, the right way. All right, he's not just going to slap you on the hand. He's not going to say no, no, and put you in the corner. I'm not about that. I'm, all, I'm, I'm okay with him busting my tail whenever I need it. He does not punish and correct those who are 
not his own though. That's what, that's what this verse is telling us. So these unbelievers in this world are not going to receive the punishment that us believers are going to receive. He loves them the same way. Believe it or not, us as Christians sitting here today, he loves us unconditionally, 100%. He loves each and every one of us. But those that are outside the churches that are not saved by God's good grace, believe it or not, he still loves them as much as he loves us. Now, that don't make a lick of sense to some people, but he does. John 3.16 tells us that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world is believers and unbelievers. That's all of us together, equally. He loves us. But it's the discipline side of it, of God, that we don't look at as much as we probably should. As believers sitting here today, he disciplines us differently than he does those unbelievers. We receive that punishment here. They will receive their wrath later on. It's a little bit different. The outside of his family, those outside of his family, he judges, and he judges a little bit later on. That's the hard part. That's the scary part for them. That's when we as Christians think about that, we're blessed because we receive that punishment now. We're receiving that dis not punishment, I'm sorry, that discipline right now. And he's making us better people right now. Those unbelievers, not so much. They'll receive the judgment when it's their time, when he calls them home, when he calls them out of this world, not home, but out of this world. Discipline produces holiness. Verse 10 tells us, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Holy in our behavior, holy in our, our view of sin, holy in our view of God. It changes us. It changes the way that we see things. Salvation changes the way that we see God. It changes the way that we see Jesus. Salvation changes the way that we see the church Salvation changes the way that we see other brothers and sisters. Salvation changes us. And we're holy in our view of God through salvation. We understand that now. We understand what it is. We have a better grasp of what salvation can do for us. He wants the best for us, and that's his greatest quality. He's holy. He wants the best out of us. Now, are we going to be holy? No. But we can strive to be as holy as possible. We can strive to be as Christ-like as possible. He wants the best out of us. And he wants the best uh, qualities of us. And his, and his quality, greatest quality is His holiness. Now, technically, we are already considered holy because we're justified. And that comes, Paul tells us that over in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace that we have in Jesus. Again, I'm going to read that. I love that. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for each one of us, we have that peace. We have a blessed assurance. We have a blessed peace in our lives. Discipline leads to a better, more peaceful life. You can look at this both ways. All right? Again, discipline leads to a better, more peace-filled life. You look at the butt-whooping generation. We're a pretty good bunch, ain't we? Look at the no-no generation. 
They're not so much. They're not so much because their discipline was totally different than my discipline. That discipline where we had our our tails whooped or we got our our mouths backhanded. I don't know if y'all ever had to experience that or not. I didn't. My sister did though. But that was one of those that she has a mouth. That was one of those things that when you was disciplined in that way, you you respected your parents and you didn't do it again. No, no, don't really do much for you, does it? Go sit in the corner for a while. Give me your phone. You're not going to text for the next five minutes. Something like that. They don't really help any. But discipline leads to a better, more peaceful life because you don't want to do that bad thing again. You don't want to sin again. You don't want to backtalk your parents again. You don't want to hurt your sister or your brother again. And so that discipline makes you realize that it is bad and I don't want to do it again. So it gives you, you live a more peace-filled life because you're not focused on doing that sin again. You're not going to do it again. It hurts. Discipline hurts. But it produces in us an abundance of righteousness and peace. And that's, that's what the Bible's telling us. If you're a child of God, even for one day, you know what it is to experience God's discipline. Even for a day, you've experienced it. He tells you no. Because... You're going to want to go back to that old lifestyle that you had. You want to, even though you were just saved, there's going to be those temptations that pop up like that. People that maybe not, don't even know you're saved yet. Not that you're even in church yet. And they're going to say, hey, come on, go with us and let's do this. Or let's go here and say this or do this or whatever the bad thing is. And you're like, okay, I'll go with you. And then you get disciplined for that. You will get disciplined for that. God will do that. He wants you to be, again, as close to holy as possible. He wants you to try to be as mere image of Jesus as possible, as much as you can. So when you slip away from that, you'll see that discipline. There was a, a I want to make sure I get all this in here. <clears throat> there was a guy that, I, I was I, one of my storybooks I like to read out of, where they tie scripture into life stories there's talking about a guy that had he went to to school and was uh wanting to be to, to work in in a in a body shop so he was wanting to be able to fix cars and so he got an apprenticeship and he was working in a local garage and he had went into the garage one day and they gave him this this beat up car and they said we want you to strip this thing down and fix it repaint it so the guy went in and he done his thing. He went in and he sanded and he he uh, put the bondo in and he straightened everything out. And then he went through and he painted everything up. And the guy supervisor came in and he looked at it and he took a he took a sandpaper and he started going over this thing. Now this car was shiny. It looked perfect, nice. It, it, the, even the paint looked better than the original. But yet the supervisor come in with the sandpaper and he went all over it. And hit the whole thing, scuffed it up, and that guy was livid. He said, why in the world would you do something like this? Well, the supervisor never would talk to him. He just kept hitting it with the sandpaper, hitting it with the sandpaper. And it shocked him. So he began to complain. And as he complained, the supervisor just looked at him, and then he'd look down, and he'd keep sanding it. And after he'd sanded the entire car, he took out his buffer, and he used this special compound. And he went back over that car, and he began to buff out all the places that he had been sanding. 
And when he got done, the result left the new guy stunned. It was actually even more pretty than when the, the new guy had started. And this was the lesson that was in this book. The sanding made all the paint even and clean. And the buffing brought out a new shine so bright when compared with the previous shine that it hardly looked like the same color. What appeared to be destroying the paint was in fact bringing out its deepest shine. And here's where they tied it together. God's discipline may not be pleasant, but its aim is to brighten our polish and reveal the shine of our righteousness. I thought, that's, that's perfect. My truck goes in the shop tomorrow to get my, the side of my truck fixed. And I'm going to tell that story to the guy that, that's going to work on it because he's, he's, he's a godly man. I thought he'd, he'd probably heard this. But I thought, man, that is, that is us. That's what discipline does. He, again, it said God's discipline may not be pleasant, which what discipline is pleasant, but its aim is to brighten our polish and reveal the shine of our righteousness, those imperfections. That's what he's doing for us. He's getting out all the imperfections. He's getting out any, any sin, any debris, Anything that's in our lives, anything that is against him, he is getting it out. He's polishing us up, and he's getting us ready for what's to come. We don't know what's to come, but he's cleaning us up to use us in some way. Now, is he going to take a piece of clay that hasn't been molded properly and has not been made into what it needs to be and send it somewhere to do something for him? Probably not. He's going to mold it and fix it to where it will be usable. As clay, if I took a lump of clay and mashed it up a little bit and, and run it through the kiln and, and glazed it and tried to sell it, it ain't, it ain't worth nothing. You can't do nothing. It's a lump of clay. But if I take that lump of clay and I mold that clay and I turn it into a cup or a pot or to a saucer or whatever and then run that thing through the kiln and glaze it, then it's going to be usable. That's the same way with us as God, as God uses us as clay. He's going to mold us and make us usable for Him, wherever it might be. It might be right here in Avery County. It might be somewhere else. But He's not going to just send a lump of clay out to do something for Him because we're not ready yet. He's going to mold us and get those imperfections out so that we can be used. So that we can be used. Everybody stand with me just a moment, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to close out. And then I'm going to sit down. Don't be discouraged when the Lord disciplines you. I know it's hard. As a, as a child of the, of the king, I've been there just like everybody else. As a human being, I remember those as well. I remember being discouraged when I was disciplined. Now looking back, I see why it happened. Don't let the devil use discouragement to turn you against God because God is a loving Father and all He wants is the best out of His children. And I want you to always remember that. Don't be disappointed. Don't be discouraged when you're disciplined. Just remember, He's doing it all out of love. He loves each and every one of us greatly. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning or this evening is a God, as we close out, God, as I look back on my life, I don't know that I ever, 
I never thanked my parents for the discipline that I received. Even though it did hurt, it made me mad. Looking back now, Lord, I just, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And so I pray, God, that each one of us as Christians can look at our lives and we can see that as you've disciplined each one of us, Father, I pray that we can thank you in return for getting those impurities out of our lives, for getting that sin out of our lives, Lord, for getting us on the right track and for cleaning us up and for molding us into the Christians that you would have us to be. Making us as clean as possible so that we can go and serve you the best that we can. We thank you for discipline this morning. And I pray, God, that uh, as we go out into this world, as we go and we try to be the best that we can be for you, we not let the, the devil use discouragement to turn us against you whenever we're chastened by you. But, Lord, we thank you for that love that you have, that you do care enough for us to discipline us so we can see the error in our way, so that we can see where we have wronged you, where we have sinned against you. And, Lord, that you would love us enough to forgive us where we've turned against you or where we've sinned against you. You forgive us, and you forget about it. And God, we thank you for that. And I pray this morning, God, that you continue to touch in our lives. Discipline us where you see fit. Lord, use us where you'd see fit. Grow us in a way that would be pleasing to you and where we could be used by you. We love you this morning.